Howdy, everyone. This episode is brought to you by Fireblocks. Love, love, love this company. You'll be hearing all about them later from me later in the episode. But now, on with the show. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of On the Margin. This is a bonus episode. Really, really excited for this one. I've got uh, Danny Masters and John Cheeseman on here with me. What's going on, fellas? How you doing? Hey, Michael. Good to see you. Good, good to be here. Thanks a lot, Mike. Guys, uh, it's been a little while uh, since I last saw you in person in London. We don't have our Carlsbergs uh, on us today, but we'll still uh, we'll have to soldier on anyway. Um, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Well, just got back from um, from Samaritz uh, last week. You know, I think it's one of the uh, the more uh, obviously up there with Blockworks. It's one of the more prestigious conferences. It's actually throttled in terms of attendance. That was uh, you know acutely so because of COVID, but uh, it was it was heavily oversubscribed. Um, you know, just a really great opportunity to get to get a face to face with a lot of the people who've been building uh, in the crypto space. Um, some of the big names like Aave and Maple and and and, and on down that list. Uh, good to see everyone in good form there. And um, you know, just a super busy, uh, super energetic uh, conference. Obviously, that predated uh, the recent uh, price slide, but I think you know we've always got to keep our eyes on what's actually being built, uh, and that was a very positive takeaway from that conference. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, um, we're we're all uh, in it for the fundamentals and the tech now, especially when prices are sliding. Okay, guys, uh, I'd love to cover two topics with you here today, right? So we've got the FOMC meeting coming out on Wednesday. This will be released on Tuesday. So I want this to serve a little bit as a preview for the FOMC meeting, right? What can we really expect here? Uh, and talk about how you see the Fed reacting in. 2022 to kind of various pressures that are coming up right now. Uh, and then I'd love to get your, your thoughts on how uh, crypto is being influenced by more macro forces, right? Uh, it seems like they're really moving in lockstep these days. Uh, so I don't know, how do you guys think about how much leeway the Fed has actually to tighten and what can we expect from the FOMC meeting on Wednesday? Well, let me, let me, let me just kick off just, just real quick, because I think, you know, uh, it's not obvious to everyone how how we end up with this um, relationship between, you know, QE, Fed, tightening balance sheets and crypto. Uh, and I think it's really important to frame this because, you know, we can't lose sight of of the sort of long term uh, trajectory that I think we're on. And and this is, you know, mindful to me from um, a, a personal uh, connection of mine and friend to CoinShares, um, Kevin Walsh, uh, mm-hmm. who's been, um, you know, very, very intimately involved with Fed policy, you know, for long periods of his career. And, and I remember him, you know, coming to crypto early, you know, about 2012, something like that, and talking about his views as a central bank and a really, really prominent one about crypto. And he described crypto as being the reaction to uh, quantitative easing in, in 2008 following, you know, the world financial crisis and the banking uh, collapses that we saw. And, and he felt at that time, and I fully endorsed that, that, you know, the future trajectory of crypto would be determined by how we actually uh, went ahead and unwinded what at the time unwound what was at the time an unprecedented uh, loosening, um, you know, largely from the Fed, but also echoed by other central banks. And the bottom line was that between sort of you know the end of that aggressive cycle, sort of 2011, 2012, uh, and and the sort of immediately pre-COVID period, which I suppose you know was five or six years, we really didn't do very much at all to reduce that balance sheet. And I think that that came about because what emerged was that there was an increasing sort of politicization of central banks, where central banks, which I think for many, many years held themselves as completely independent from the financial system or whatever governing party uh, that they had, somehow came back into uh, this this political governance. 
And then we had obviously COVID, you know, hit. And and then, you know, what was supposed to be a deleveraging cycle was reversed to be an even bigger, you know, easing cycle um, that dwarfed, quite frankly, you know, what happened in those, you know, post-world financial crisis years. And so, you know, we didn't pay the piper, you know, round one. We didn't pay the piper round two. And, and actually the stakes, you know, have gotten a lot, lot higher. And if anything, that politicization of, uh, of QE and banking policy, particularly around, you know, the, the, the pandemic and what that meant for sort of social constructs, um, has, has pushed, you know, the banks and the politicians ever close together and, and in unison in almost every major country in the world. And so, you know, we've come a long, long way through that. And I think we can ask the same question today as Kevin was asking in 2008. I think the future trajectory of crypto depends on how we go ahead and unwind this uh, astronomical size balance sheet. I guess one of the, you know, one of the points to make there is, you know, the Fed really has two mandates, which is, um, you know, uh, inflation and, and employment. Uh, but it also has kind of a semi third third mandate, which is financial stability. Um, you know, the, the, the pre-COVID period um, that, that Danny was talking about, or even I suppose it was right until just before COVID when prices slightly started to pick up. And you've had this long period of very low inflation. There are a number of really kind of long term macro factors, um, you know, um, dem demographic um, changes. Um, you know, uh, globalization um, and also the techno, you know, infotech revolution. All these are extraordinary, powerful disinflationary um, forces. And so, for a very, very long time, you know, the the, the Federal Reserve was 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 panicked that they were going to become Japan, and they were just unable to stop deflation. And I suppose when did that? So I suppose probably from about 2013, 2014. Um, until 2020, that was like that was really the big concern for 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 the Fed. I remember, you know, Danny's talking about you know about Kevin Walsh. I remember I watched an interview with um, he was working for Stan Druck and Miller for a while. I w watched an interview with him where, and this this was um, I guess this was probably in 20 I think it was in 2017, and he was saying that um, that crypto was a solution looking for a problem, and that was why he wasn't convinced that he'd do anything more than kind of dabble in, in, in the token economy, did a few bits and pieces, I think. And then, of course, the economy was actually picking up quite well, um, you know, as, as, as Jay Powell reminds us, in, in, into COVID. Um, and then we just had this unbelievable shock, which resulted in um, the biggest expansion of monetary policy that we've ever seen in GDP terms since World War Two. So it really was, you know, wartime a wartime response to you know to to what happened in covid because and i remember um jay powell went on a you know david rubenstein's um program on on on, on sunday on sunday night um i think it was in 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 june of 20 and you know he just said you know really we're just gonna do whatever you know the economy was in good shape people had good jobs they would had businesses they'd invested in for a long time it is my job to make sure that through this we get the to the other side of this pandemic in the same position to get those people in the same positions to continue to run their businesses to keep their jobs to keep their livelihoods um, as they were before and I think this just lasted for so much longer and that meant that the monetary expansion was was that much bigger as we now come to the the other side of it the problem is is that we've now created a huge amount of inflation um, there's a big debate about 
you know, how long this inflation will last. The idea that it would be transitory in the definitions that the Fed first came out with were definitely wrong. It may be transitory on a longer time scale, but on that time scale, it was it was it was definitely wrong. And we're seeing, you know, really, really persistent inflation in in housing, in autos, in energy and in um, uh, and, and in wages, which is I think wages is probably where the Fed is most worried right right now, because energy, you know, used cars will probably be temporary energy. It can't really do anything about um but you know, but but wages and and housing are a much much stickier problem for them. So you know, so yeah. So anyway, so so going back to what what you know what Sandra Camilla was saying that you know w- when he saw the big the big monetary expansion, he said actually you know what crypto was a problem looking for a solution. Uh, sorry, a solution looking for a problem. Um, and and but but now it's found that problem in 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 what the central banks have done. So you know these guys, you know Paul, Paul Tudor Jones wrote that long paper about monetary inflation. Stan Druckenmiller changed his mind. You can be sure that that meant that pretty much every other macro trader in the world changed his mind too and was buying crypto. So, you know, now when you get to an environment where, I mean, no one really knows how much they're going to tighten, when they're going to tighten. But, you know, let's let's be clear. If it's a kind of binary, they are tightening, not loosening. Like that, that is very clear. And, and you know, and how, how does crypto react to that? Well, I think those macro guys that did well and made money trading crypto as a monetary inflation asset well it's you know they're not they're not they're not they're not investing on a monetary inflation playbook anymore so they're looking for other trades that will do well in a monetary tightening environment short rates short equities probably even short crypto though i haven't found anyone that generally kind of thinks that crypto is a shortable asset um you know so so that that's kind of i guess that's kind of i guess where we are now um I feel like the investment community and banking community, like bank forecasters, are getting very hard ahead, high, far ahead by talking about, you know, four hikes, balance sheet runoff, because you can see already the Fed has just hinted at what it's going to do. The Fed is, in fact, still doing QE, albeit at a slower rate. And we're already seeing this turbulence in markets. I don't think this turbulence in markets is enough to shock the Fed yet. Um, but, you know, take it to April, where it's been like this, they've actually tightened twice. I mean, it could be, markets could be much, much, much lower. And of course, in a financialized economy, which we've never seen a financialized economy like this before, nothing will create or reduce inflation more than a drop in asset prices. So, and you know, financial conditions and asset prices are very tightly close. So, you know, so I kind of, you know, I feel like, there was a very, very hawkish consensus, i.e. more rate hikes coming into this meeting. I don't think we were going to get that. Similarly, there may be some people who are now looking for him to really ease off um, because of the financial, because of the, this small turbulence, or that we know it's not that small, but the short-lived turbulence you've seen. And I think probably it's going to be somewhere down the middle of those. And I'd even, I'd, you know, I'd get even, you know, a little bit more specific. And I'll tell you what I think. Um, I think that there is now uh, an unholy alliance between politicians and central bankers. I don't think that's ever going to go away. Um, there there seems, seems to be no political route by which you, you can uh, unring that particular bell. Uh, I think the number is, you know, stock market down somewhere between 15 and 20 percent. Um, now, whether that's the FANGs or NASDAQ or the Russell, two, you know, the Russell 2000 does make a difference. Um, 
uh, because some of those stocks did get ridiculously extended. But um, I think that's probably around. The, I, don't, I don't think the Fed has the stomach to watch the stock market go down much more than that. Well, yeah, because it's. I mean, yeah, one of the one of the sort of theories at the market is that that on Biden on Powell's renomination, him and Biden kind of shook hands. That into the midterms, the Fed had to like address this. Well, the Fed and the government had to address this inflation topic because that was becoming so politicized, and the Democrats were clearly, among other things, in a lot of trouble for that. Um, I, I just don't see how the solution from them looking like they're doing a bad job on inflation to asset prices going down and that all of a sudden makes them look like they're doing a good job. But I think it's a very tough situation. And one of my friends jokes, actually, that the Fed now only really has a choice uh, between deflation and, and dog coins. Um, and I think, you know, as crazy as it would sound, I think, you know, I think they'd probably probably go for the latter. Yeah, that's certainly I, the world I'd rather be in. <laughs> I, yeah, Doctor. Yeah, Shiba to the moon. I, I mean, I, I guess my question is, I mean, there, there are other anal- like a bunch of analysts have kind of framed it that way. There's an analyst at Bank of America who I really like, uh, Michael Hartnett, who's basically called for a little while that, um, you know, the Fed is going to have to choose eventually between inflation and some sort of, uh, you know, consumer recession, basically. And, and that's why I was kind of, you know, wanted to frame this discussion as slowing structural growth in the economy, right? So like when when the Fed is kind of weighing. Um, you know, two kind of bad outcomes here, like Scylla Charybdis or Fire and Ice or however you want, you know, whatever kind of theatrical framing uh, you want to attribute to it, uh, it does kind of seem like they're in the situation where there isn't much underlying structural growth. So they have this decision to make, you know, inflation is kind of rearing its ugly head. Is it more important to fight inflation uh, or do we want to avoid some sort of consumer recession, right? And both of those seem like very unappealing outcomes, I suppose. So, do you think the Fed is framing it that way in their head? Do you view those two things as like the, out, the two outcomes that we could possibly have in 2022? Like, how would you approach that question? You know, central banks tend to be quite gradualist, much more gradualist than the market. And like, probably like the worst trades I've seen is where the market just like wants things on a quicker timeline than central banks end up delivering. And I actually think that the short rates trade is going to end that way too. Um you know, I think I think power. I think the Fed officials genuinely believe that inflation is going to come lower naturally. Um, I think that they're clearly they clearly must be somewhat frustrated that it hasn't happened yet. Um, but I do believe that they will, will. They do think that. And you know, you think about something like people talk about energy prices a lot. Well, nothing the Fed can do about energy prices anyway. And energy prices actually tighten the economy anyway. So even if you're getting, you know, even if you get an energy price issue there's not there's like literally nothing they can do about that so that won't even be on the page um yeah i mean i i i think that they'll be concerned that this this inflation is is so stubborn in some ways i think at the back of their minds i think they know that because inflation is such a political hot hot potato now for them to do anything requiring easing they need an ex- a really clear excuse to do that. And that's sort of what Danny was talking about, you know, the Fed put, as you will. Um, and, you know, and as a result, I think that's become the market consensus where in the post-COVID period, a 5% drawdown in the S&P, we've had a few of them, have just been a very clear buy. It's never gone through there. Um, I, can't, I haven't looked this morning. I think we're probably down about maybe as much as not quite as much as 10 probably eight or nine percent down in the s p so we're through that and one of the things that some of my former colleagues that i chat to a lot um have noted is 
the two factors we've seen now is retail have started to sell rather than just, you know, mm-hmm. buy, buy the dip as they've got used to. And also CTAs, which follow momentum, are now selling as well. So, and I think that's the same in crypto. You know, you've got people who've made a huge amount of money in it who tried to hold on and couldn't hold on anymore are selling. There are definitely liquidations going through the market. And you just have a bit of a, you know, buyer's strike. Um, you know, Russia and Ukraine is, is looming over as well. That's not, that's looking incrementally worse over the weekend. Um, and, you know, I think all the believers have been, you know, have, have worn a huge amount of pain, be that in growth equities or, or crypto. So, and, you know, the kind of non-believers are probably, you know, thinking they're going to turn the knife, the market's going to turn the knife a little more before they see kind of value in, 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 in these trades. Um, yeah. And that, 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 that's where I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely, I have to say, you know, I'm usually pretty kind of balanced on kind of market outcomes and I'd kind of could see there were certainly signs of froth as everyone could, I'm sure last year in crypto, but the fact to have come down to have come pretty much back to where we were at the lows last summer in, in Bitcoin and Ethereum in this quickly is, is, is pretty wild. I mean, you know, just looking at, you know, year to date returns, I mean, yeah, Solana's over 50, Ethereum's 40, the total market cap's 33, Bitcoin's 30. And, you know, and, and it's only, you know, we haven't, even, we haven't even finished January yet. I mean, that, that really is, that really is a sharp move. And actually one of the things that I've been looking for, um, for signs of kind of, so, so, you know, if there's a buyer strike, what you have to then wait for is kind of seller's exhaustion. And, one of the, the trades I've been kind of, well, things I've been monitoring for that is, is you know, for Ethereum to underperform on, on, a, on a vol-adjusted basis, which it has been today, actually. And I, I kind of feel that's the, you know, the, the latecomers to the kind of 2021 market. I feel like Ethereum would be the last one that they'd sell because I think they sort of avoided Bitcoin anyway. Um, so I feel, and they would have sold the riskier end stuff and then eventually get to Ethereum. So, yeah. But it's, but it's, you know, you'd hope that with more, with a more institutionalized user base, though, that was still, that was always in the kind of developmental stage rather than the, the live stage that, you know, that, that there will be kind of fundamental value-based investors looking at crypto. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd just add to that. I mean, we, we've had a pretty sublime run um, going all the way back to, I think, the seminal moment of Paul Jones's letter, which I think was the dawn of institutionalization of crypto. Yeah, we you know we had some um, a decent short sharp shock in terms of COVID, and then you know some pretty spectacular runs. And I think you know let's face it, you know you know the the, the community within crypto has gotten a lot broader, and it's gotten a lot bigger in terms of number and in terms of uh, size. And um, a lot of that cohort, you know, did not experience two thousand and ten, two thousand twelve, two thousand fourteen, two thousand seventeen. Um, you know, this decline in crypto is actually a lot more orderly than a lot of the declines in crypto we saw in the past. And I think that's got a lot to do with the market structure, the fact that there's more liquidity, there's more venues, there's more players. There's arguably a little bit less leverage, I think, just, in, you know, per head, as it were. Uh, it used to be very much uh, all in all in or nothing kind of game. And so, you know, whereas we might have seen, you know, crypto go from 1,000 to 200 or 5,000 to 2,000 and, and all these various cycles, um, you know, you will have never seen my name on a when crypto hundred, you know, when Bitcoin hundred thousand, when Bitcoin one million type of post. I've never really been like that. 
I'm a bit more cautious and I, I obviously naturally long exposed to the business anyway. So it takes a little bit more for me to to want to get speculatively involved and, and get longer, as it were, uh, crypto. But I'm actually feeling like this might be the, the kind of the, the kind of buy area. I agree with John's assessment. I think there's the first signs uh, of some form of capitulation. Uh, I think this is a big correction that we've had. And when you look at the options, the you know the outcomes that we have going forward for the Fed, as you as you put it, consumer recession or or inflation, you know none of these are to be savored. And and no. I think that as they oscillate um, and react, you know, stock market down, back off, stock market up, you know, feed it back, inflation up, feed it back. You can see them going on a sort of a you know potentially going on some sort of some sort of uh, recursive pattern here that 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 sort of leads to a little bit less confidence and a little bit less understanding of what the true direction is and i actually think that does speak to crypto um and and like you sort of partially joked before mike um you know i think the other thing which is probably lost on people who are here for the last couple of years not the last five or six years is that you know during the the retreat in 2017-18 I mean, the the actual technology available was non-existent. Um, I think there is a really stark difference between the deliverable technology you see today and the impact it is clearly having and going to have. You know, business models like DeFi, Metaverse, Play to Earn, Earn to Learn, all this kind of stuff that are new business models made possible only by crypto were just pipe dreams in 2017. Yeah. So I'm in. You know, so I am encouraged by. A big decline. B. I'm encouraged by the first signs of of, of capitulation. Now, look, if if the S and P takes another ten percent leg, those bets are off, and we'll have to reevaluate that whole thing. But my, you know, I, I'm aiming. If I'm not shooting, I think at this moment, uh, at sort of trying to trying to up the up the risk. And I think, um, you know, I think the other thing that that has to be noted is that the choice of crypto has gotten so much bigger in the last sort of six or nine months. Um, and and a lot of these, I think, are a, a little bit more hope than reality. I mean, at the end of the day, Ethereum has a vast infrastructure that is extremely difficult to compete with. It may not be the most feature-rich crypto in the world, uh, but it's certainly the most robust one. And, um, and I think it's, you know, again, you know, thinking about Arthur Hayes' letter recently, which I think was looking pretty apocryphal at this moment, uh, again, he saw this thing as very much being a shrinkage in all coins and, a, and, and an initial move back into Bitcoin and Ethereum, and I would echo that. This episode is brought to you by Fireblocks. I talk to a lot of fast-growing crypto-native funds, crypto banks, exchanges, and the like, and they all tell me they have the same two problems. One, their treasury management setup sucks. They've got analysts wasting time and money on manual transactions. Two, They are not happy with their current security setup. They're sharing passwords, they're sending test transactions, and they're worried that their funds might be at risk. Fireblocks is a platform that solves all of that for you. They're a one-stop shop portal, which automatically plugs into exchanges, trading venues, etc. They source deep liquidity and solve everything from day-to-day crypto transactions all the way down to complex DeFi strategy. And the best thing about Fireblocks is that they offer scalable solutions with industry-leading technology doesn't matter if you're a two-person crypto fund or a 2,000-person crypto exchange, these guys have you covered. And the last thing that I'll say about this company is that I have known them for years. They are a high-integrity team. They ship product like no other. I would trust them with my own funds. So click the link at the bottom of this page and tell them that I sent you. 
very, very important that you click the link at the bottom here. Otherwise, they're not going to know that I sent you. And then how am I going to get credit? So help a brother out. Click the link at the bottom of this episode. Tell them I sent you. D Danny, can I pile on and ask you your, your thoughts here? Because one observation that I, I'm kind of chewing over in my own head here, um, and you've seen more market cycles than I have. But, uh, you know, one thing that I kind of observed is I wonder if this is actually an area of bias for crypto OGs in some way, because, you know, a couple months ago, back when everyone was very confident that we were the bull market had resumed, um, a lot of people were calling for a blow off top at some point. And actually, I think it was actually more crypto OGs who were calling for that because that was what their past experience had told them, right? Every crypto market, uh, bull yep. market up till this point, it had a blow off top. And we didn't really get that. Um, what, what we got was kind of this rounded, elongated uh, kind of top, right? So I wonder if this could actually be an area of blind spot for folks who've been in this market for a long time. They expect this, you know, in that exact blog post that Arthur Hayes wrote, the Maelstrom, you know, he, he called it like the desperate puke out candle, right? Which is, you know, Bitcoin going from, you know, 19K all the way down, you know, down from that $6,000 level to three. I wonder if we're a little bit blind and expecting that, but maybe we actually don't deserve it. Um, Look, the, the, the lesson, the lesson in marketplaces is, is, you know, you, you, what you get kind of rhymes with what you think you're going to have was going to happen, but may not be exactly the same thing. Right. And for me, I think we did have a blow off top. We just had a blow off top in coins that people aren't really focused on in terms of, uh, you know, their relation to Bitcoin and Ethereum. Look at look at coins like Crypto.com, you know, a decent exchange, a decent wallet, but it is a far, far distance away from Coinbase. Peaked at around 25 billion market cap for that network. And I think that's probably down 60 or 70% now. And you can go down the list of of uh, not just the cryptos look at the equities look at where bat stock was six weeks ago 13 billion valuation 65 dollar stock now trading five all right so don't mistake the fact that we had a blow off it just wasn't in bitcoin mm. and ethereum it was in the in the in the ever more hopeful ever more risky areas uh, and the stuff that was super super high momentum and there's been some serious damage on those coins and i mean I think also that, you know the other thing as well is you can only really have those crazy blow off tops in assets that are a bit smaller. Um, you know, the, the market yeah. structure of not only are the, you know, the, is the absolute market cap of Bitcoin and Ethereum much bigger than it used to be, but the market structure is also, you know, more participants, you know, deeper liquidity, better liquidity venues and things like that. So, so there have been some real structural changes to those markets. So, uh, you know, as Danny completely correctly says, you know, the signs of, the blow off top come in things where there isn't that same, I suppose, you know, one of the things is just not as many eyes on it. You can't have the, you know, a lot of eyes on a market will reduce the kind of extreme volatility of it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, speaking of extreme volatility, like just what the market's braced for now from the, from, from looking at the VIX, which is now up at 30 and doubled on the year. I mean, we've had a huge move in equities, but no one is stepping in to, to sell vol here or, you know, or, or, or buy the dip. So I, I've been kind of thinking, hopefully since the end of last week, that some of this selling, even in equity markets, let alone crypto, is coming, you know, is coming at a very kind of into a very, very illiquid market structure. Well, just as like a, a sentiment check here, I, I prepared these charts, but I'm, I'm not going to go through all of them. But uh, this, this, I mean, this was a pretty stark uh, chart for me to look at, actually, which is that investor sentiment right now is actually more bearish than it was at the March 2020 bottom, which is, which is a pretty wild statistic for me. So I'm not really sure how you guys interpret something like that, um, because 
you know, at the same time, you know, I understand that, I mean, depending on your view, right, that uh, all financial assets have been, basically, the Fed has blown a bubble into all financial assets right now. And I think people are very concerned at the unwinding of that, particularly into a not great economic environment. But it doesn't seem justified uh, that the panic should be worse than a potentially world-ending pandemic. So I'm just curious, you know, when you guys look at a chart like that, what your reaction is. Well, I think into this year, everyone was pretty concerned. You know, mm -hmm. you knew that the Democrats weren't going to get fiscal any more fiscal stimulus through and that we had a huge amount of fiscal stimulus. We actually had a pretty good, good year growth-wise. Everyone assumed that that would slow. Also, everyone's expecting the Fed to tighten. And, you know, you're on the back of... I mean, the S&P was, was double what it was on the march. So I think kind of it's partially explained just from a level perspective that, you know, in March, there'd already been a bit of a, you know, a bit of a sell off. And now I think just coming into this year with those three major inputs for the bull market removed or even reversed, um, I, I, I think, yeah, I guess that's why. Yeah, I mean, look, look every every. Every decent sell-off, uh, uh, you know, we've got one now. Well, the last one we have was, you know, the March COVID sell-off. Um, every one we have, it, it it sort of always looks like the end. Um, the VIX spikes, you know, the sentiment goes bearish. The market, you know, the chart falls off a cliff, breaks a couple of supports. If it's not the 50, it's the 100. If it's not the 100, it's the 200. Um, you know, I mean... And I sometimes kick myself afterwards and I'm going, you know what, if I'm going to do one thing, I just have to wait till everyone's absolutely nervous and panicky and it's super, super nasty sounding. I mean, this is, this whole podcast is pretty, pretty kind of, you know, doom speaking stuff. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, you just got to hold your nose and that's the moment you dive in. Uh, you know, what you've got to be careful not to do, I think, is go all in at a time like this, because there could be a bottom below this bottom and a bottom below that bottom too. But, you know, I'm going to hang my hat on the things I said before. Number one, I really believe in this tech and I believe, you know, for the right uh, infrastructure, supported coins and networks, uh, there's a really, really bright future. Um, I'm going to take a little bit of comfort from uh, the, this bearish uh, pull that's, that's hanging over everything. And I'm going to take a little bit of comfort from the idea that with these Fed choices we have going forwards, um, I'm not sure if it gets to the right solution or the wrong solution, but I'm sure it's going to undermine further the confidence in what that institution does. And I think that's good for crypto. I would, I would widely agree with you there, Denny. Um, I think maybe, uh, so we've been talking a lot about what's going to happen in 2022. I think zooming out in general, you know, the big question to be asking is, do you think that we're going to be moving towards an environment where uh, we have sustained negative real rates, right? Because it certainly does seem like we're moving into some area of heightened inflation, right? I think the question is, is what do rates do in that environment, right? So, I mean, my, my thought has always been, I just don't see a world where the Fed can normalize just purely because of the amount of debt uh, that we have. But also just if, if you think about, if you think, if I try to put myself in other people's shoes, you know, maybe that's not the smartest thing to do, but I try to put myself in the shoes of what the Fed has done. If you go all the way back to 1987, right, Black Monday, uh, and you look at how the Fed has responded to various financial crises, it's pretty much always been the same playbook, right? So 1987, right, you had the bailout of long-term capital management, right, in the late 90s, then you had 2001, then you had 2008, then you had COVID, and it was basically all the same policy. So I think the muscle memory of just whenever there is some sort of turmoil or financial trouble, you ease monetary accommodations. And if you put that against the backdrop of everything that we were talking about in the beginning of this, like population demographics, not looking very good, 
debt, not looking very good. I just, I don't see an environment where we actually get what the Fed really wants, which in my opinion is growth, right? So I just, both of those factors kind of, to me, paint this environment of negative real rates. So I know we're all very concerned about Fed tightening for the moment, but for me, the overall backdrop, let's say over the next five or 10 years is negative real rates. I'd be curious to see what you guys think of that as a framework. And if so, how does that translate to markets? I mean, I'd just say, you know, embedded, obviously, there are two parts of, you know, cal- calculating a real rate. Um, and at the moment, I think everyone agrees that kind of spot inflation is going to fall from where it is now. Pr- pretty significant. You know, even if we end up in a much higher inflationary environment, spot inflation is, is going to half. So that obviously will, will naturally, as you say, push, you know, real rates lower. Yeah. So, so you know, they'd have to tighten, what, 4%? In order to have you know long term, long term positive, you know, so, so there really is a, a big, a big, big tightening cycle needed to, by the end of this year or say into say in eighteen months time to have positive real rates is is a real challenge. Yeah, and I think sometimes people forget the simple stuff, which is that you know interest rates and more importantly real interest rates are the price of money, and when you have too much money, the price goes down, um, and there's not much you can do to escape that. Really well said. Um, I've got one final question for you here, uh, and this is something that I'm just a little bit curious about, honestly. Um, and we talked about this a little bit at our closing fireside at Das London, but you know, a lot of the times when people make the connection in between macro and crypto, they make the connection of Bitcoin, right? Uh, Danny, this is what you were talking about with sort of the Paul Tudor Jones uh, you know, connection between price of money going down, negative real rates, and Bitcoin kind of being a hard asset that you want to own in that sort of environment. But you know, a lot of what has been actually very interesting uh, over the course of the last, let's say, year and a half, like the tech and some of the other new projects, right? Like Ethereum has nothing to do with that, right? That's not the story of what Ethereum is trying to do in general. And for me, I actually start to see other sort of macro uh, indicators that might be positive for something like Ethereum, smart contract networks, et cetera, which is like antitrust going on for big tech in the US. Like Liz Warren is really bearing down on Google and Facebook. And there's been a pushback on deplatforming on big platforms like Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. And to me, those are signposts for maybe not the um, sound money narrative of Bitcoin, but the Web3 narrative of a more open, democratized internet that is fair uh, and kind of absent from these monopolies. So I guess when you guys think about macro indicators for the non-Bitcoin section of crypto. What are some of the first things that jump to mind for you? Well, I, 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 if you guys didn't catch, uh, there's a, one of the crypto Twitter people, supertrooper.eth, as in, you know, the big spotlights on, on stage, uh, put out, I mean, you know, once in a while you see one of these things and you kind of just realize how rapid the progress is and how much of it sort of passes you by in your day-to-day life. And he put together the ecosystem for, the, for decentralized music which you're sitting there thinking, oh, it's Audius and, and, you know, and, and a couple of NFT, you know, things. But the, the ecosystem for the decentralized music universe has absolutely exploded. Um, and um, I think Melton, my, my colleague Melton Demir has put it on her tweet feed, if anyone wants to go back and look at that in the last couple of days. And I think that, you know, there, there's, there's the, the, the sort of deplatforming that you're talking about, Mike, right? I mean, how, how many years have we gone through the record label fights and the, you know, the East versus the West and all this kind of stuff? I mean, I think that there's been a lot of people taking, you know, uh, making attempts. I mean, SoundCloud tried and failed to de- deplatform a lot of these um, big, uh, big uh, music type institutions. But that, that is really happening now. And if you look at the metrics 
on what's happening with Audius uh, and how quickly their, their user base and their, their activity is growing and what extra features that their platform offers to you know artists, performers and fans. Um, it's absolutely staggering. And I think, mm. you know, that's, you know, I think music, you know, when we talk about business models made possible only by crypto, I think uh, music is going to absolutely explode out of that soon. And I think one after another, um, uh, this is going to be the new model, whether it's social media through DSO, you know, music through Audius, publishing through Mirror.xyz. I mean, every single industry which i think has been platformed and if they weren't platformed with the old companies they were platformed with the twitters and the you know the, the intermediators who then also ended up kind of having a bit of a stranglehold um and now i think they're all going to break free and i think that's part of the bright future the crypto has yeah i mean i i just add, add to that that you know crypto is a is kind of a financial currency asset um, or monetary asset and it's also a technology asset um and I think there's a spectrum of assets that are more that look more like monetary assets and more that more like technology assets. Um, so when you have like a, you know, when you have a, a change to one of those conditions, which is more likely to be, I suppose, the, the monetary policy side, um, those assets or the, you know, the 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 you know the macro type the the assets that macro type investors buy are likely to be the most sensitive to changes in that. And it actually the you know. The, the technology type assets that the kind of long term VCs and people like that are looking at um, might might do better in that environment. Um, but, you know, of course, there's kind of a correlation that runs through all of them that these are kind of as much as, you know, it is change of technology. They are also all monetary assets, too. Yeah. And then, and then you, you know, one also needs to be quite mindful in this kind of environment. You know, when there's when the market is under pressure in crypto, there are usually some landmines around. I mean, there are some people that get over leveraged, get liquidated in some of the less um, the less liquid instruments. And, you know, that that that's both a threat. If you happen to be long, you know, you've got to keep very, very close watch over you know margin positions. There's also an opportunity because I think some of the really good stuff can get washed out, you know, on a pure technicality. But. But I think, and I think John makes a good point. I think you can also divide that world and look at it in terms of what, what are technology assets, what are macro assets. For macro assets, you may as well go ahead and trade the VIX and the S&P, but there could be some interesting opportunities on the tech side. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it, it, as, you, as you know, Danny says, it, it's all quite correlated because, you know, people will hold, you know, a, 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 you know, will hold a portfolio of crypto assets and they'll probably be adding into reducing them in, in reasonably similar terms so they'll cut the the good stuff and the bad stuff in 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 the same time so you know in in periods of weakness you know there really are some great if you're you know a buy and hold investor with a strong conviction over crypto with you know technology you believe in um it's likely that in these bear market cycles you get you get some really good really good opportunities um from you know deleveraging yeah i you know even when you just look at crypto in general right now I'm sorry, I don't mean to sound super rosy here, but, you know, I look at crypto, it's, it's like 1.6 trillion. In va- I remember in 2017, looking at crypto, it, it hit 8 billion or 800 billion in market cap and thinking, this is nuts. This is absolutely insane. I can't believe. But now I'm looking at crypto being like only 1.6, <laughs> only 1.6 trillion. Sorry, compared to everything else. John, you made this great tweet the other day saying, hey, look, the denominator has changed, right? You got to look at the amount of money that's in the world, right? And relative valuations. And I don't know. I just think, uh, you know, from a high level perspective, there are four companies in the S&P that are valued more than the entire market cap of crypto. And that just seems wildly inexpensive to me. Look, Michael, if you, you know, 
give, give or take half a trillion. If you said to me, do you want to own all the Ethereum in the world or all the Tesla in the world? I would take Ethereum every single time. I, I'd probably say the same if you gave me half of Apple, right? Every single time. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, Danny, who's giving you I, these options, by the way? <laughs> can, can you introduce <laughs> it to me? <laughs> um, but no, you're, you're, absolute, you're absolutely right. Now, you know, you could flip that on its head. And say that for some reason, and it, it is just something to do with the mystique. It's something to do with the 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 the, the history, the, the sort of anonymity, uh, and it's to do with you know that there's some sort of idea that you you don't want to miss you know the next part of the internet. But crypto just always punches above its weight in terms of mindshare, in terms of media share, in terms of hype, in terms of attention from regulators, and all this kind of stuff. Always way 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 above you know, where it, where it is in terms of actual value. But I think that speaks a lot to what this community is about and what, what the prospects for it are, you know, going forward. And, um, and so you're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, I think 800 billion or 3 trillion, you know, one company, you know, the biggest company admittedly, but one company in the S&P, I think all of the, you know, tens of thousands of developers building Web3 tech right now uh, add up to more than Apple personally. Yeah. I would agree with you. I think one interesting area when you just talk about crypto punching above its uh, weight class in terms of mind share and hype and attention, I think one thing that crypto's kind of proven, if you look at uh, previous cycles, the things that, that is the most hypey and gets the most attention tends to kind of weirdly predict the future. Not exactly, but it sort of rhymes. So like ICOs, for instance, they were the hypiest, most attention grabby part of 2017. That's a dirty word now, but they were directionally right. The idea of bootstrapping growth by selling ownership in the network, that, I think that was the right idea. You just got the crappy first version in 2017, and then we improved on it with DeFi and NFTs. NFTs are one interesting area of outperformance where they haven't really gotten the, the memo that uh, crypto is selling off in general. And what's really interesting about that is that my understanding of why NFTs went up is because the wealth effect, right? People got really wealthy in terms of ETH, and then they start denominating in their head, okay, I'll chuck one or two ETH into this uh, you know, this monkey JPEG or whatever. But as ETH is going down, people are repricing. The NFTs are staying where they were, which is shocking to me because on the ICOs, you know, the ICOs were the exact opposite of that, where you basically, um, you know, they reprice much quicker than, than Bitcoin ETH on the way down. But I don't know if you guys have opinions on that. I know we're already running high on time here, but... Um, I'll tell you really, I'll tell you really quickly, um, you know, for better or worse, for up or for down, um, we, you know, we've, there's been uh, a generation of very young, very wealthy people created through crypto that, that is only going to continue going forward. They do not denominate their wealth in Birkin bags and Ferraris and Gucci handbags. Um, but, but let's remember LVMH sells, you know, 30 billion uh, worth of these so-called unique luxury goods to boomers every year to make about 4 billion, I think, in revenue or something like that, you know, big numbers. Um, that is not what the, the crypto wealthy, you know, young community want. Uh, they flex by owning CryptoPunks, EtherRox, Board Ape, Yacht Club. Um, and that's why you're seeing the crypto price of them rise as the price of crypto goes down. Um, because there is some sort of fiat component there. And, and I think these early, you know, the early stage NFTs, um, there will be millions of NFTs. NFTs are much more than art. NFTs are a two-way channel between a brand and their customer. It's going to be hugely important. But those early NFTs are going to be the grandmasters of, 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 the, of Web3. And, and you can't make more of them because you can't wind the clock back to 2017. Uh, and, and personally, you know, on, on dips here, I actually think that the originals, uh, are a better investment than crypto. 
Um, and j just just one last thing, because it's actually just popped up on my um, on my screen, just going back to like our, our Fed discussion um, and about activity. So last week, um, there was a really big miss in the Empire Manufacturing, which is like the New York right. Manufacturing Index, that was the lowest since the pandemic. Um, and actually, the, the overall PMI data, both for, you know, both for services and manufacturing, just missed quite a bit already. So, you know... The, the Fed is tightening into into worsening data, into falling inflation. So I really think that, um, you know, I really think you could take some medium term comfort that the market is is not right about the amount of tightening it's expecting from the Fed. Well, the other thing that we didn't talk about is just the rate of change in general. Like we yeah. were kind of talking about this uh, before we got on the podcast here, but just the rate at which crypto has sold off, I think is surprised a lot of people. And I think also, I mean, even the NASDAQ as well. So in, the indices, uh, you know, US indices are still holding up okay. I think a lot of the growthier tech names have gotten absolutely taken to the woodshed. Like ARC mm -hmm. is down, whatever it's down, you know, uh, you know, 70% or something from the highs or something like that. But if you look at some of the, the COVID era, pandemic era darlings, Zoom has done a full round trip. Peloton has done a full round trip. Lemonade is, you know, 70% off where it IPO'd at. You know, it's starting to, I mean, it's, it's happening very quickly, I think is the point that I'm making too. Is, and, and if that had happened over a period of a year, maybe the Fed would have looked at that and said, okay, that's fine. Um, but I think it's happening very quickly and that might make them sit up and take I think I think the lesson, the lesson, if you look back, you know, all the way back to the early days of commodities in the, in the late 80s and the early 90s, the, the lesson of maturing markets is the repricings happen faster, but the amplitude reduces. Right. So mm. so we had, you know, we had periods in the past where crypto would be a thousand and then it's, you know, it was three months later, it's a hundred um, now, in, you know, and that might take a month. Now, it seems to me like, you know, a week or two, but the amplitude is lower. And I think that's a sign of, of maturing markets. And interestingly, it's it's still the case in some of the the more speculative coins um, that the amplitude is bigger in the correction. Uh, is a bit slower. It just goes on for a really, really long time. Look at where Doge was. They were talking about a dollar for Dogecoin recently. It had just bled out down to like 14 cents or something. Um, and I think uh, it's one of the less mature ones uh, compared to Bitcoin ETH at least. But I think that's that's what we're seeing. So it's, you know, that's again, while I think you can scale a 50% decline in the major coins to being a pretty good correction for everything that we've seen happen so far. Uh, whether, you know, it still feels like a nervy in terms of stepping into buy, but but you could make a case that, that the damage has already been done. Yeah, absolutely, guys. All right, uh, guys, this has been a ton of fun. Uh, thanks for hopping on at such short notice, too. You guys are legends. Um, we'll have to do yeah. this again soon. <laughs> give us a little time. To, give us a little prep time next time. I'd like to keep <laughs> you on your toes. I'd like to keep you on your toes, fellas. All right. <laughs> Good start, right. Um, cool. All right, guys. Well, we'll see you soon. Thanks again for hopping on.